no matter what I'm preaching on, no matter what series it is, no matter what my topic is, I'm going to find a way to get back to the Garden of Eden. Because that's my favorite thing to preach about in all of Scripture. And I believe, I, I now know why it's so important to me, is because it is the, def the definition of what this whole message is about. It is about the definition that God has, how He has defined us and how He sees us. And it started in the garden. Now, listen, when you read the scripture of creation, you know that He, he created the whole world in six days. And you, I ain't here to debate whether you think that's 6,000, 6 million, whatever, or six days. I'm just going to go ahead and, and today, I'm just going to tell you that if the literal sense makes sense, any other sense is nonsense. So I'm just going to go ahead and take God as his, at His word. If He wanted to do it another way, He can. But I'm going to go ahead and believe that the Bible says in the evening and the morning came and it was one day. Come on. The sun came up, the sun went down in the day. So I'm going to believe that God's able, if he wanted to, build, to design the whole world, he could do it in six days. Are you with me? Say amen. Heaven knows God, anything's possible with God. So when you study that, you'll find there's a very interesting pattern in the creation of God that teaches us something very, very powerful. And that is the fact that when God created in the original creation, he created the environment to sustain first. And then he called out of the environment the thing that would be sustained by that environment. In other words, he made the water, and then the Bible says, go back and read it, he spoke to the water and said, let the water bring forth the fish. And he began to, he, the water was created first, and then the fish and all the things that live in the water came after he spoke to the air. He talked about the heavenlies. He talked about the firmament of the heavens when he separated them. And then he spoke to the air and he said, all the birds and the fowl will fly through the air and be at home there. How many of those, a fish is in his element in the water. A bird is in his element in the air. Come on, are you hearing me? There's nothing more majestic than the seeing a bird just doing that thing and just soaring and letting the wind take them. Then he, then he created the dirt. And out of the dirt, the Bible said he called forth every herb, every tree, and, and everything that would be sustained through the soil, he called it out of the soil. Because the soil, the dirt, was the environment that would sustain the plants, the herbs, and so forth. Then he created the animals, and he made them out of dust from the earth. And of course, we understand that animals either eat plants that come up out of the dirt and is sustained by the dirt, or the animals eat other animals that are sustained by the dirt. Because it's the circle of life come on somebody oh yeah so now but all right i gotta go back and watch that movie that was an awesome movie by the way lion king but i lost my place what was i talking about what what okay creation creation so he spoke i'm telling you man i get easily distracted up here so he spoke to the environment and said to the environment, you will sustain what I call out of it. So the, so the air sustains the birds and gives them the purpose in life. The, the water sustains the fish. The dirt sustains the, the animals and the, the herbs and the plants in the field. But when it came time to make man, something very interesting happened. He did something with man that he didn't do with any other creation. He first fashioned out of the dust of the earth the form of a, of a man, the earth flesh of a man. Thus teaching us that through the time that we're here on this earth, the earth will be the environment that sustains our body. All right? Okay, so watch this. So how many knows we eat 
things that come out of the dirt, that grow in the dirt, or the things that eat the things that grow out of the dirt? Are you thankful that he told Peter to kill and eat? Amen. Some bacon. Come on, Jesus. Are you thankful that he told Noah when he got off the ark, you can eat meat now? Praise God. I'm so thankful, praise God, for that. Now, but here's something interesting about man. The Bible says that man, after he had been formed from the dust of the earth, was not alive. The Bible says he was not a living soul until Genesis 1.26, my favorite scripture in all of the Word of God. And then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the, of the sea, the, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over all the creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Watch this. In other words, he's saying, all the environments that I have created that will lord over all these creations because without them they can't survive. I'm going to make a creature that is over all of those environments. That are above those environments. Now watch this. So God created, verse 27, man in his own image. And in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Something interesting about that, if you go on and read the book of Genesis, you'll find that God did not name Eve, Eve. Adam named Eve, Eve. In fact, the Bible says something to blow your mind if you really take time to read it. It says, and God made them, male and female, he created them and called them Adam. Called them Adam. That's in your scripture. That's in the scripture that you got in your hand that you may have read right over. So God says the spirit of man, somebody shout spirit. See, we're three parts. We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body. Our spirit is eternal. It's who we are. Our soul is our mind, our seedbed, and our emotions. Our flesh is our body. One is temporal. One is tied to both temporal and eternal. And one is purely eternal. And the one that's purely eternal is the spirit man. And that is the part. The Bible says that man was a lifeless soul. And the Bible says, and then God breathed into man. And man became a living soul. That word breathed into man is the same word is the, that, that is used uh, for, to describe the word spirit, Holy Spirit of God. In, in the New Testament, it's called the word pneuma. And, and, and Holy Spirit literally means the holy breath of God. So, so the Spirit of God is the breath of God. So when God, when it came time to make man, he did not speak to the dirt. He did not speak to the water. He did not speak to the air because all of those are natural things. When it came time to make the real man, which is also, ladies, inside of you it's still called the inner man. Your body is the body of a woman, but on the inside it's still called a spirit man according to Scripture. When it came time to create the true who we are that will live eternal, he spoke to himself. Thus signifying that the only way we could ever be truly sustained is not through anything that's earthly, but only through God. See, here's the thing. And I went over first service, and it's, look, it's not looking good right now for y'all. But, but now watch this. See, here's what I do for you. I do as a favor to you, so by the time you get to the restaurant, the church people are gone. See, that's how much I love you. Now watch this. So, most guys are like this, and this is the way I've been most of my life, and most guys have it in their DNA. We are so, we so think that we can just put anything together with our hands 
Especially when you get kids and, and your wife goes and buys a wagon or something like that for your kids. And you put that thing together and your wife will say something to you like, now baby, you need to use the instructions. And you say, instructions. Look at the picture. It's a wagon. How hard can it be? So we take all the parts and lay them out. We set the pretty picture there, and we put it together. And when we're done, we're so proud of ourselves because it looks just like the picture. We did it. We didn't need no them old stinking instructions. We did it according to the picture. And everything looks fine until you put Junior in it and start trying to pull him through the house, and it won't turn. And you realize you don't put the axle on the wrong end or some kind. You've missed one little step and you get so mad. And you really get mad because what does your wife do? I told you you should look at instructions. I knew this was going to happen. Am I preaching right? So here's the reality. That's what we do in our life. We spend most of our lives allowing ourselves to mold and put ourselves together according to the picture that the world has painted that we're supposed to look like, act like, and walk and talk like. So we are cookie-cutter humans. We find most people don't know the greatness that's within them and the potential that's within them because they, have, they look like everything is right. But on the inside, there's some parts missing. Am I right? So many times, the only way that you can fix that wagon, and it's so frustrating, is you got to tear it back apart. Because about halfway through, you missed one thing that if you'd have followed the instructions, you wouldn't have had to do that, but you have to break it back down and put it back together again. And can I tell you something? That's what had to happen to me. That's what this book is about, and that's what's going to probably have to happen to you if it hadn't already happened to you multiple times. Many times, because as long as we look like we got it together, we don't think we need to be fixed. Until we find a situation where we got to turn and do something that we're not equipped to do it, and we read in the Scripture that we're supposed to be able to do it, and you're just like, God, how is this possible? And God is saying, you can't do it because you have allowed yourself to build your own self. You need to, you need to let me tear you down. So that I could put you back together. Huh? I'm not talking about him putting sickness on us or whatever, but I can tell you something. He'll use anything that the devil puts on you. See, the Bible says, see, you ever heard anybody say this? Ain't nobody perfect. How many would agree with that? How many of us, if you ever find the perfect church, please do not go to it. Because the moment you visit for the first time, you've ruined it for everybody. There's no perfect church, right? There's no perfect people. But can I tell you something that's really not true? There's no perfect people alive now. Of course, we know Jesus is perfect. But I'm talking about outside of Jesus. There really was two people who were perfect. And that was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were perfect. You say, how can you say that nobody's ever been perfect? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. There, were no, there was no sin. They were created the direct image of God. They had the glory of God on them to such an extent that God came down and walked with them like it wasn't even a thing. Come on, somebody. But the moment, now watch this, two perfect people. The moment that two, the only two perfect people outside of Jesus that has ever existed in the history of creation, the moment they took their eyes off of God and His Word and put it on themselves 
and took of the fruit and ate and turned and gave it to her husband and ate. Watch what the Bible says. What happened to perfection? Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Immediately their eyes, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. Did they become naked? They were already naked. But they didn't know they were naked. Or they didn't care that they were naked. They might have knew that they were naked, but nakedness wasn't a big thing. Are y'all hearing me? So what did they do? They immediately took fig leaves, sewed them together to cover themselves. This is what happens to us. When we take our eyes off and allow the DNA of the world to be injected in us and take over who we are versus the DNA in God. That's why there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. Come on, right in the middle of it is our mind, our emotions, and our intellect. I've told you many times before, if you could split yourself up into three parts and your spirit was standing here, your soul was standing here, and your body was standing here, and if I was to come up to your spirit man who is born again, a child of God, Holy Spirit living inside of them, and say, spirit man of Larry, do you believe that God can heal you? Spirit man would say, what kind of question is that? Did you not read it? It's finished. It's done. He put straps on his back for my healing. Crazy question. You ask the flesh of man, do you believe that God can heal you? Flesh of man would say, there's no such thing as healing. It's a nursery rhyme. You need to take your medicine. You need to blah, blah, blah. You need to do what the doctor said because that's a, that's a fairy tale down there. Don't believe that mess. There's no possible way. If you want to talk to the soul, the mind, the emotion, the intellect that's tied to both of them, do you believe that God can heal me? Your soul man would look at you and say, I don't know. You tell me. Garbage in, coverage out. The battle is in the mind. Can I get an amen? The battle is in the mind. I said the battle is in the mind. So your identity is in the mind. Nothing changed in the natural about Adam and Eve. They were naked before. But all of a sudden, they now knew they were naked. And the moment they knew they were naked, they were immediately ashamed. And this is what happens. When you start being led and being defined by what you see in the flesh, you will take something from the natural world and try to use it to cover up your natural sin. So they were ashamed, so therefore they took a fig tree, which is of the natural earth sustained from the dirt, and began to sow it, thinking that somehow they had the ability to cover their shame on their own. Am I preaching right? How many times have we tried to do that? How many times have we seen people try to do that? Try to fix things on their own. And they forget who they are in God. When they're faced with things, instead of making a decision based on the DNA of God. Remember, the Bible says that when God breathed into man, God, God made him a living soul. Do you understand what happens when we're born again? Remember what he told Nicodemus? He told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, in order for you to follow me in this new covenant thing that I'm preaching now, you must be born again. But see, what we stop right there and just think about being born again. But you've got to understand, the reason he said being born again is preceded by death. You can't be born again until you die. That's why the Bible says the old man is dead. Behold, all things have become new. So a born-again process is not just you being born again. It's you being born after you have died. Acknowledging a state of death. Acknowledging a state of no life without the Holy Spirit being breathed into you. So before we are born again, we go right back to the state of Adam and Eve when they were first created. Every single time a person is born again. We are, we are experiencing absolutely a re, 
uh, creation of what happened in the Garden of Eden. We are a lifeless soul. We are walking around in a death body. Our bodies are cursed by sin until God breathes into our nostrils. Holy Spirit, the breath of God, pneuma of God. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And when it comes in us, the old man that was dead is buried. That's why we baptize. That's why we, it's signif, uh, significant when we baptize. It's symbolic of going down in the ground and coming up in the water, which signifies the Holy Spirit. Drenched in the water, baptized, baptizo. You come up out of that water, a new creation. And now you're alive for the first time in your life. Just like Adam and Eve were alive. For, but if you're not careful, when you mess up, you'll, you'll start, instead of going to God, you'll start taking things that are around you that you can do with your hands, and you'll start trying to cover yourself up, even as a child of God, and thinking somehow that's going to protect you when God comes in. First thing on your notes is, and I'll go f quickly, is there's greatness within you because you were created in the image of God. There's greatness in you because you were created in the image of God. You may not think there's greatness in you, but I'm going to tell you something. There's greatness in you. That is why the devil hates you so much. That's why the devil hates all of us so much. Because when we become born again, it's one thing, when we're, he hates us when we're, when we're unsaved, but he really hates us when we're born again. Because when we're born again, not only do we, see, before we're even born again, we still look like God. Because we were created in the image of God. There's no other part of creation has a nose and an eyes and a mouth and hands and a feet. Like the Bible tells us that God has. He has hands, he has eyes, he has nose, he has feet. Praise God. So we're created in his image. No other person has, no other creation has what we have the same features. So when he looks at us, he sees, he's reminded of God. But when we are born again, Again, that greatness, that new anointing comes in us and on us. And now not only do we look like God, but we talk like God, we operate like God, we do the works of God, and all of a sudden he hates us because it reminds him that he can never be us. The Bible says the angels desire to look upon the things of man. Why? Because they are only spirit beings. They don't understand the flesh. Everybody do this. Come on, everybody clap. Everybody clap. You know why the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people shouting to God with the voice of triumph? Because just that sound alone, every time you clap, it is literally a slap in the face of the devil. Because he can't do that. This is the way it sounds when the devil claps. Because he's spirit, right? But when he hears that, he is reminded that no matter how high up he was, he could never equate... The only thing in creation that God didn't just say was good, when he made man, he said it's very good. Very good is, a, is basically another word for it. It's pretty great. He said, I see goodness in all of that I've made, but I see greatness in that one. See, it's in your DNA. You, can't den you can deny DNA, but it's useless. How many of those, you, you track DNA you can say, I didn't do the crime. But how many knows, if you left DNA at the scene of the crime, you're going to do the time. Because ain't nobody else left it but you. Because it's, it's your, only your DNA. For so long, I thought I had the DNA of my father. Because how many knows, whether you knew your father or mother ever in your life or not, you have the DNA of your mother and father in you. Whether you ever met them or not, 
no matter who raised you, and you could call them mom and daddy, and they could be truly mom and daddy to you, but the reality is this, do a DNA test. If they did not birth you, somebody else's DNA is in your body. And I, I was defined by this person in my life, and that's what this book is all about, especially the beginning stages. And I was, I come out of a very abusive, verbally and physically abusive home. And I never could figure out why my face and my features did not match what I saw. Until later on I realized it was because I had the DNA of another person in my body that I had never met. But when I saw that person for the first time in my life, it was very obvious to me. In many ways, it was like looking at a mirror. I saw my eyes, I saw my nose, I saw my laugh. In fact, when you read the book, you'll find that because the DNA was so close between me and that person, one of the most crazy, unusual ways that I ever found this person in my life happened simply because of facial features on my face to a person that had no idea just looking at me, and I reminded them so much of another person they knew. But even though somebody else's DNA is in you, and you find them, and you think that's fixed everything, how many knows if all the other stuff is not fixed? It doesn't matter who you find. It doesn't matter that you can identify your DNA. The reality is this. You'll never see yourself the way God sees you until you start living your life guided by the DNA of the spirit man and not the DNA of the flesh man. Oh, you may have the greatest mother and father relationship any human beings ever have. Praise God for that. Quite frankly, you're in the rarity if you do. Most people do not have that luxury. But if you do, you need to thank God for it. But the reality is this. You may have the greatest father-mother relationship ever, but that still cannot Release the greatness within you. See, many times the greatness that is within us is not released until we go through a very difficult place in our life, a crushing moment in our life. Because here's the reality. God, we do not give God the praise when everything is going great. We don't call on God, I should say, when everything is going great. We fall on our face and call out on God and ask God to do a work and a miracle in our life when all hell is breaking loose against us. Am I preaching right? Now, I'm not saying that, that God does these things. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God has given us life and to have it more abundantly. But God will never, ever, ever let a, let a moment come and go without using it for his glory. I've seen it time and time again. People have asked me, if, if you knew what you know now, would you? and you could go back and God give you an opportunity to go back and change everything about your childhood and everything that you had to go through and everything that you had to walk through even as an adult. What would you do? And nobody believes me when I say it, but I could care less if you believe me. I always don't even have to pray about it. I would not change a thing. I would go through everything again. Everything, I wouldn't, want it, I wouldn't want it to happen to my mother. I wouldn't want it to happen to the other people that I saw going through it. But what happened to me, I would want it to happen again. And I know it don't make theological sense, but the reality is this. If I would not have gone through that, I would not be standing where I'm standing right now. I'm telling you, everything I am was, come on somebody, was molded and fashioned 
in a crushing moment, in a moment of failure. Shame, disappointment, failure, pain, struggle. They're all parts of the roadmap to greatness. No one has ever arrived at their purpose without walking through some pain or discomfort. When you read my story in the book, you'll, you'll also read stories of Bible characters who would be known if they'd have known. If they'd have been stopped at their failure, we'd never known their story. Most would have been called failures. Samson forsook the Nazarite vow, went his own way. Went, went into the Philistine camp, had relations with a Philistine harlot, lied and lied and lied and told the secret of his own strength, brought judgment on his own, on a whole nation. Moses, the man who talked with God face to face, disobeyed God and failed God. He got caught up in the flesh. God told him to speak to the rock, and he relied on the flesh. Because he had struck it before and it worked. So instead of doing what God said this time and speak to it, he struck it again. Failure. David, a man after God's own heart, chose to take another man's wife in adultery, impregnate her, and have her husband killed. Failure. Abraham, the father of the faith, lied about his wife, had relations with another woman so he could help God out in God's plan. And produced an Ishmael. The list goes on and on and on. But yet it was in those moments that man would have thrown himself away, but God would not throw his man away. Something was molded throughout all the failures that gave Abraham the faith to stand at the base of a mountain, knowing that that morning God had said, take your only son Isaac to the top of the mountain, and where I'm going to appoint a place, I want you to bind him, lay him down on an altar, and I want you to take a knife, and I know this is grotesque, but it's in the Bible, and I want you to drive a knife through his heart and kill your son and sacrifice your son to me. But yet, somewhere along the journey, through his mistakes with Hagar and Ishmael and all the things that he did and all the lies, he learned a lesson about God, that God would never take him down a path that he was not trying to mold something in his life. So if something very strange happens that many people read right over, at the base of that mountain, he had an entourage of people with him, as any wealthy man would be. And as they started to climb this mountain, uh, Mount Moriah, as he's standing at the base of the mountain, he looks at the rest of them and says, you guys stay right here, for me and my son are going to worship God, and we will return. We're going to worship God, and we'll be back. But yet when he gets up there, he doesn't tell that to Isaac. Hey, we're just up here to worship, son. Just chill. It's going to be okay. He don't say anything. But in the inner man, he's being defined by God. He's trusting God. His son Isaac looks at him and says, Father, I see the altar. I see the wood for the altar. I know what we're about to do. But where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. One, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. One translation says, God will provide himself as a lamb. Are y'all hearing me? So Isaac lays down 
allows his father to tie him up to the point that he literally takes the knife above his head, looks down at his son, and his inner man is saying, God, I trust you because my flesh, I don't get this. I don't understand how there's anything great in this. But I'm going to trust you in this moment. And the Bible says he comes down with full force to drive a, a knife through his son, his son. And the angel of the Lord stops his hand and says, Stop, for I have seen the faith. For I know now I have a man that I can trust. And he makes a covenant with him that's everlasting. But watch this. If he would not have allowed God to use him in that moment of weakness, we would not know of Abraham today. See, when you talk about failure, listen to what Robert Kioski says. Winners are not afraid of losing, but losers are. Failure is a part of the process of success. People who avoid failure will always avoid success. See, the next thing on your notes is this. Failure is an event. It's never a person. Failure is an event, never a person. So you, you may have been told that you were a failure, but that's a lie. You may have failed, that's true, but you are not a failure. Failure is the event that happened. Let the event teach you and mold you and shape you into the success. But if you spend your whole life being led by the flesh... And not by the Spirit, man. You will believe that the event has made you the person. Am I preaching right? See, i got to go in seven minutes. i got to preach the rest of my sermon. Praise God, I need an anointing. Now listen. Chapter one of my book, is, it, it, it is the foundation for my whole, the whole book. In fact, it's the foundation of my ministry. It's the foundation of of who I am as a father. It's the foundation of who I am as a husband. It's the foundation of who I am as a man. It's the most silliest thing in the world. I, I, I have a record, y'all, and it was hard for me to say this in a book form, but I got street cred, y'all. I got, I got a record, man. I, I, ain't a, I ain't proud of it. I was fingerprinted. I got my mug shot made and all this. All over three stinking VHS tapes that I refused to take back. They were in the back seat of my car, covered up by trash. And I just forgot about them. And I got arrested. I called myself the VHS Bandit. <laughs> for three VHS tapes. But what happened in that super silly little misdemeanor offense against me, it actually cracked the door open and exposed me for all that I was, which was a liar, a cheat. I was a deceiver. I was disrespectful. I was irresponsible. And it all came flooding out in one day. And that was the day that I was stood before the judge. And even the judge looked at me. I'll never forget it. I'm standing there in front of Sandy's standing in the back of the courthouse. She's 19 years old. I'm standing up there in front of my mother standing next to me. And the judge looked at me. He looks down at the paper. He looks back at me. He said, these exact words he said, are you kidding me? Are you serious? All you had to do? is take three tapes back and now you are standing here in front of me because of this that's what he said to me i felt about that tall but of course you read the book you know where i'm going with this 
that was nothing compared to what I knew was about to happen. And that was the prettiest girl in the world to me who had just agreed to marry me just a, a, few mo- a couple months earlier was watching it all in the back. And some other things had happened too and she had just found out the truth about me and that was just the culmination of it. So I prepared myself that night. That would be the last time I ever saw Sandy. I knew it. Who would have ever thought anything different? She come from an um, amazing family who had told her to keep yourself for a great man, to have a great life. I didn't fit any of the things that her mother and father had prayed for that they wanted their daughter to have. I was the opposite. In fact, everything that she thought I was, I was not. And that's when I told her, I said, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, please keep the ring and walk away. And then, of course, the title of the book, The Five Words That Changed Everything, she looked at me and she said, I'm not leaving. And I looked at her, tears rolling down my face. I said, why? Please, I'm begging you, leave. You deserve someone besides me. I, I know what's going to happen. This is what I do. I make up things. I pretend to be something, and I crash and burn, and I take everybody else down with me. That's going to be your life. That's who I am. Walk away. She said, I'm not leaving. I said, why would you not leave? Why? She said, she grabbed my hand and she looked straight at me and tears were rolling down her face. And she said, because when I look at you, I see greatness in you. Amen. I'm thankful for that day, y'all. Changed my life. You said, how could that change your life? Because... I'm sure people had told me that I could do anything I put my mind to. I know my mother had. I'm sure people had told me things. But most of my life, I'd been called a failure. I'd been called a loser. I, I'd called myself that I had accepted that. But when somebody that I trusted with everything, every fiber of my being told me that, it changed something in me at that moment. For a brief second, am I going to say that it stayed with me forever at that point? No, I still had to go through a lot of stuff to begin to believe it. But at that moment, for the first time in my life, I believed it was possible. I heard my spirit man speak to me and say, what she's saying is true. This is who you are. And see, the next thing on your notes is this. We'll all be arrested by God one day. You may not be arrested like I was arrested. And you may have a clean record the rest of your life. But one day God's going to say, hey, you need to come out. I got you surrounded. That's why we raise our hands as a sign of surrender. Come out with your hands up. At that moment in my life, I believed. Before that moment in my life, I believed that I was defined as a failure. I don't know about you, but I've made some serious mistakes in my life. Pre-five words and many post these five words. I asked her, I don't even know how many times, Sandy, you were barely 19. We were just two kids in love. How would you have ever seen greatness in me? I could promise you this. She wasn't meaning I see greatness in you as a pastor one day because none of us thought I was going to be a pastor. I promise you, if she would have looked at me and the Lord said, he's going to be a great pastor, she would have said, I hope he finds a great woman. And she would have walked away. Trust me. I would have walked away. If she would have said, the Lord said, you're going to be a great pastor, I would have said, I rebuke you, devil. Because that's the one thing in the world I didn't want to be. 
But I've asked her, Sandy, what, what did you mean? After all these years now, I've been married for 29 years, I said, what did you mean? What did you see? What could cause a girl, just a young girl to say those words when everything, every advice, every person you know would have told you to walk away like I told you? She always answers the same thing without hesitation. It wasn't me, Larry. I didn't say it. It was God. All I know is what she said. She just said, I knew at that moment you were going to do something great. And I knew that I had to be a part of it. So I committed to stay. It changed my life. I'm going to go through them very quickly. The next thing on your notes is this. You are not what you did. You are who God said you are. You're not defined by what you did. You're defined by your creator. See, the one that made that manual to teach you how to put that wagon together was the one that created the wagon. You don't go to a, a mechanic who knows how to build a carburetor uh, up, up and down and, and can do it in their sleep and ask them to draw out the, di the diagram of how to make the gre greatest wagon in the world. His specialty is not wagons. His specialty is carburetors. God's specialty is us. That's why we go back to the Bible. This is an instruction manual. B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. So this is an instruction manual. And see, this may, you may not like this next one. The next one in your notes is simply this. No matter how hard you try, you can't even be good on your own. But you can be great with God. See, God has not called us to be good. It's impossible. In fact, Romans 3.10 says it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. Isaiah said, your righteousness and your goodness is like a filthy rag. No matter how good you are to people, to yourself, to your neighbors, that's great. But without God, you smell like a stinking rag. Because if you didn't, then why did he say it is finished? What did he finish? Did he finish it for me and the guy sitting next to you, but not for you? He finished it for all of us. He gave us all access to him. Because we all need access to him. He's our creator. Next thing you notes, God has not called you to be good. He's called you to be great. Great. Well, how can I be great if I can't even be good? Well, you can't be great or good without God. And if God comes in your life, and we always say this, you know, um, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But the truth is, God is great. How many of those good is here, but great is here? And can I tell you something, that God's not even called us really to even be great. He's called us to be greater. Greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. Not greatness is within you, greater. In other words, no matter how great things are around your life, the one that's in you is greater. And if he's in you and he's greater than all the things in the world, 
then you're greater. That's what I love about the South. We've got our own little ways that we say things. It's awesome, right? One of the things you'll, you'll, you'll hear in the South, when somebody sees your kid for the first time, and they know you had a kid, and they, and they, they ain't seen it, and it's already getting a little older and walking around, or whatever, and they got the little facial features and laugh. They'll say things like, boy, I'll tell you one thing, you can't deny him. Why do people say that? Because there's been these situations where people have said, he ain't mine. <laughs> How many of those what he's trying to say is, you can say all day long, he ain't mine. But ain't nobody got a nose like you. And that boy's got your nose. See, that's the DNA of God. The moment that we are born again, that's why the devil hates us so much, is because we look so much like him. That in the spirit realm, we ought to be so close to God that people may not say these words, but in their mind, they're thinking, well, I'll tell you one thing. You can say all you want to, but you can't deny God. You look just like him. See, if we knew what God really looked like in the natural, and we will one day, it ain't that our nose looks just like God. It ain't that our hands are the same hands that look just like God's hands. You know, I've said it before all the time, too. It's like, it, it drives me insane how if you go to a black church, you got Jesus on the wall and he's black. You go to a Hispanic church, Jesus on the wall, he's Hispanic. You go to a white church, he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. Come on, somebody. You go to an Asian church, Jesus somehow's Asian. Everybody trying to draw Jesus to look like them. And you get mad. People get mad if you try to tell them Jesus was a Jew. He had olive skin. He looked like a Jewish person. Quit trying to make him look like you. If you're a Jew, you're good. Okay? <laughs> you're good. All right? But watch this. Who cares? Because when we get to heaven, have you read the book of Revelation? He don't even look like that anymore. He got fire coming out of his eyeballs. His hair is white as wool. Come on, somebody. Hey, fire. Y'all ain't hearing me. He don't even look like that. So when the Bible says when we get there, we'll be just like him, it doesn't mean we're going to change color skin. It means we're going to have the glory of God on us. Get up on your feet and praise him. Get up on your feet and praise him.